Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome. Uh, bienvenue. Salut. C'est uh, numéro 10, uh, le podcast Homo Sapiens. Et je m'appelle uh, Guillaume Young. Et toi? Je m'appelle Christopher Sweeney. Why are you speaking French then, my friend? Uh, because I'm using this app, which speak, uh, helps me speak French. I've become obsessed with it. Really? Yeah. Like, whenever I'm on the loo, I'm doing it. You know, I'm a regular person. I noticed on my way in that you've bought a slow cooker. How do you know that? Because there's a slow cooker box outside the front house. What? Yeah. That that would be my delivery. Oh, right. Oh, I thought you'd thrown away the box. (laughs) (laughs) Off he goes. Fuck the podcast. Well, before you... the person just left outside the door? Yeah. If you hadn't run off, you could just wait for me to say, don't worry about having a slow cooker because you won't end up using it. She looks a beaut. I've never used a slow cooker. Well, I wanted to talk to you about it because I bought one. You've never used it. The thing is, you get very excited. You start cooking everything in it. And then, like lesbian bed death, you get slow cooker bed death. Okay, so I've suddenly got into cooking, which is good. Now I'm going on tour. And um, (laughs) there is an undercurrent underneath this whole thing. Which is make a house a home. I was bored. I was on Amazon and I've gone... Freaking mad. I've bought a, a blender, food processor, proper juicer. Oh. Never going to use any of them. Did you just black out and then come to and I, you had like eight notifications from Amazon on your email? I went into a whirlpool and I thought, screw it. Mm. I need that proper juicer. So that's coming. It's the size of, I'd say, probably a small family car. Um, I'd, be, I'd be better and it would be cheaper to buy a plane ticket Go to Valencia, pick the oranges, or Seville, pick the oranges, stamp on them and squeeze them out myself, mm. drink the juice off the ground. and From come a crystal w- cup. With the minerals and the earth and fly back to London. It would be cheaper. And easier. I and don't also have to clean it. one more juice than you're ever going to have yes. out of that actual juicer. Chris, why are you wearing green? I'm wearing what was closest to my bed when I had to jump out of it this morning. I thought you were wearing green, an army green. Oh, well, maybe that's because this week we're talking about LGBT people in the military. Coming up in this week's episode, we spoke to James Wharton, who is an author, uh, an ex-soldier, a gay man and an activist. So James is interesting because he always wanted to be in the army, but he realised he was gay and that felt like a bit of a sort of hurdle for him. And then they lifted the ban in 2000. He knew he could go into the army and he joined in 2003 and the law had changed, but he tells us about how he felt the culture hadn't. That person who was responsible for our training said, always be on time, always have the correct equipment. And then his third one was, don't come out if you're a fag because I can't stand faggots. He wrote a book called Out in the Army. Good, catchy, to the point. He has really helped. LGBT people feel that there is a path that has been trodden for them to go into the army. All of a sudden, I was the most famous soldier in the world, uh, in camp. Everyone was talking about me because I was this this gay guy. One of the things that James touched upon was that it's not as big a deal for gay women in the army as it is for gay men. Yes. I thought it might have been the other way around, given sort of chauvinist tendencies and you know men get their egos bruised. You know, these days, Stonewall says the RAF and the Royal Navy are among the 100 most gay-friendly employers. I wonder what the top one was. G-A-Y-L-A. <laughs> 
um, Prowler. Our conversation with James Wharton is coming up. I think one of the highlights and probably what brought him to a wider public attention was that Prince Harry stood in to defend him because they were in the same regiment yeah. and there was going to be a bit of a fight. So Prince Harry, what oh, I love Prince Harry. Love can, we talk, can we talk to Prince Harry? Yeah. I think he'd come on. You're friends with his people, aren't you? I don't know anyone that knows Prince Harry, but I have met Kate Middleton's PA. Does that help? Uh, no. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but didn't Kate Middleton want you to sing at her wedding? No, no, her birthday party. No, I offered. No, but she's a fan of yours. I actually think I might have made that up, to be honest. Do you remember when um, we went to the polo? Audi very kindly invited you to the polo and we went and oh, Prince yes. Harry was there. Oh, yes. And I was waiting for the loo. There was only cubicles and he opened the door and stepped out the cubicle and went to me because I was next in the queue. And I was like, oh, it's Prince Harry. He went, it wasn't me who did a shit in there. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walked off. I've met the Queen. I went for lunch with the Queen. You're kidding me. In Buckingham Palace. I've told you that. No. And a lot of the people that work in the in the palace are LGBT. Very true. Yeah. She was nice. The corgis were there. So what was the lunch for? Four times a year they invite eight supposedly interesting people. I was absolutely shit scared. I was so nervous. Really? Yeah. And you drive into Buckingham Palace and through that archway that's yeah. in the front and suddenly it's like, oh my God, I'm going into Buckingham Palace. Oh my God. And then you stand there. I've still got the label in my study that says Will Young and pop star. <laughs> that's really? Yeah. I sat next to the Duchess of... Gl- oh God. The one that's married to Edward. Oh, Sophie. Yeah. The funniest thing was when the fruit arrived and mm. there were oranges and then there were... But... Oh. Post. That sounds like a parcel. Um, and there was a bowl of water and literally none of us knew what to do with the oranges and How this water. And then Prince Philip said, oh, I use them to wash the orange. And he washed his orange. But why would you wash an orange when you're going to peel the skin off? I don't know. So everyone got handed an orange in a bowl of water? Yes. I've still got the menu. Really? Yeah. And they put that on the menu? Orange I, with bowl I of thought, water? I thought cheap, to be honest. <laughs> I thought she... Well, she's a famous spendthrift, the Queen. She would be absolutely horrified by your spending on the slow cooker. Don't say Do that. You she's my, Don't, she's my favourite person in the world. Did you speak to her? Yes. What did you chat about? I spoke to Lilibet, as the uh, relatives call her. No, <clears throat> is that true? Yeah, because my brother went out with someone Lilibet. who... No. <laughs> she liked younger men. Mum, this is Lilibet. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> My brother went out with a member of the royal family, so... Um, Did he? Who? Yeah. We Rose Windsor. Who's that? She's the Duke and Duchesses of Gloucester's daughter. We used to go to Kensington Palace a lot. I did not know Didn't any I of tell this. You that? I did not know any of this. Yeah. But the best thing about it is I got a, seek, a pass to go through this road that cuts through from one main road in London to another. Forever? So, As in, like, they let you take it home, can they? Well, I had it for... A fair bit longer than I was allowed it, I think. Mm. And um, when I used to get followed by paps, I used to lead them to the secret gate. And then the armed police would stop them and they'd let me through. And every time I drove through, I'd swear at them. (laughs) Not Uh. the police, the paps. (laughs) It was absolutely brilliant. I hope people enjoy the interview with James. I had a completely different life experience. Well, it's an unseen world that we can't know what it's like unless we do it. And it's really nice to hear someone's story from inside that world. If only we could have infiltrated ourselves. I know. Like a little mole. <laughs> Ooh, um, it's nice in here. Oh, it's nice and cosy in here. Is this Kirsty? Hello, this is Kirsty Young. My guest for this week is the renowned actor and author and psychiatrist Oh, Will Young. Welcome, Will. What's your first track, Will? Uh, it's one of mine, Kirsty. And let's move on to your sixth track. What's 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 that? It's also one of mine, Kirsty. <laughs> the same one. I can guess which one your eighth track is. And which one would you take? I'd take Everqueen. Green. <laughs> did you say Everqueen? That could be what you did if you sung it at Pride. You could do Make e- it Everqueen. Yeah, great. I still sing She in that song. Ah, so... Yeah. Evergreen was a song by Westlife, is that right? Yes. But they, you actually flinched as I said that. <laughs> and why was it chosen for you? Because Simon Cowell decided to give it to me and then Simon, uh, to the winner. 
right. and then Simon Fuller did a Kathy Dennis song. So they came from both sides. So Kathy Dennis was, was with Nineteen, yeah. And Simon had managed her, yeah. And she turned into a big old Kathy Dennis pop writer who wrote "Can't Get You Out of My Head," Britney yeah. Spears "Toxic." Oh. The list goes on and on. So for a while, Gareth and I had to sort of cope with both Simons. So what was the cat? There was another song, Kathy Dennis song, which was yeah, anything is possible. Anything is possible. So that's why you had to release that me two. and my parents used to call anything is possible. Possible. <laughs> possible. Oh. <laughs> but that's the song that she wrote. Kathy yeah, Dennis wrote. It's not one of her best. And it was only because they wouldn't agree that you released two songs. It was a double A side. Yeah. But and just it was because the same, they wouldn't agree. Yeah. And it was the same oh. with when Gareth and I sang Long and Winding Road. Mm. Cal wanted to make it a double A side because it was Simon Fuller that came up with a Long and Winding Road as a mm. cover. And so Cal wanted to have his say as well, and he wanted suspicious minds. And I spoke to him and said, I've murdered Light My Fire, I'm murdering the long and winding road, and now you want me to do Elvis? I was like, I was like, that's not going to happen. And he threw a bit of a hissy fit. But then Gareth did it. Then Gareth, Gareth had to do it. And that did not go down that well for him but totally the two Simons were just like kind of going at each other I can't believe that's why that happened I know isn't that interesting and then we went Gareth and I sang on the, at the top of the Pops Awards did you yeah and then Jordan was there because it would come out that Gareth had shagged Jordan and she walked on stage and went never trust a pop idol and then I went into the press room and I was like oh, but I'm the pop idol because I won and I was like I categorically did not sleep with Jordan <laughs> <laughs> at time of print Will's um, going on to his second piece of cake. Yeah? Third. No shaming here, though. Before we go on to talk about our guest this week, James Warden, I'd like to talk about jealousy. Jealousy? It just came up. And I suddenly thought, I'm not a massively jealous person, even though I wrote a song called Jealousy, mm. which was about the one time I was jealous. So you're not a jealous person? No. Um, Why'd you say that was such a surprise? Because the other day you told me you were jealous of my time running the marathon. Oh, that's different. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about... Oh, okay, that was jealousy. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. I can get jealous, not in relationships. I don't get, like, possessive jealous. I'm quite a jealous person, I think, if I'm being honest. In a relationship or outside a relationship? Not in a relationship at all. People can do whatever they want. I feel like I'm common or garden, standard issue jealous about things. Like, if someone gets something really nice, I'm like, oh, I really want that. I do get jealous. Now I've opened this kind of worms. Sometimes of people when they're in relationships and I'm not. Really? Yeah, and I've got used to that now. So, like, when my friend got married said she was engaged I told her I said I'm really happy for you and I'm also experiencing real jealousy and I was really pleased I did that because then it sort of got it out there she's mm. really cool so she was like completely get it rather than thinking oh I'm an awful person but she didn't that. invite you to the wedding <laughs> no she didn't <laughs> no she did um I want to throw it out to the audience to the listeners stories about jealousy which can get quite unpleasant yeah but my only jealous experience which led me to write jealousy the song yeah, was that I had an experience with a boyfriend when I did get jealous and mm. I, it took over me and he was on the dance floor. I've told you this. I'm like, he no. was on the dance floor in the ghetto mm. in London. Gay club. And he was dancing with someone. I stormed across the dance floor. I'm, I'm just about over the embarrassment of it, shame of it, and just sort of stood with my hands on my hips in front of the friend or whoever it was and then sort of just danced and Connor was like what the fuck are you doing really I was overcome by jealousy really the only time in my head it was all a bit Saturday Night Fever and suddenly your hip was going to go and then suddenly you'd do an amazing dance oh god maybe in my head I was but I was just overrun by jealousy really yeah I did have a boyfriend who was jealous many many moons ago it's a suffocating thing to be around because a lot of what their problem is is often put on you. Mm. So why are you talking to that person? Why are you doing that? And they imply motives that you have when you don't. I went to Paris for a meeting and he got very angry that he thought that I was going to get off with someone in my meeting. Which I think is so odd because have you ever snogged anyone in a meeting? No. No. But that was all his thing. And he's like, well, you know, you're going to like some, it was a, a I was doing a film for, Yves Saint Laurent and he was like well they're sort of exciting fashion people <laughs> I know the film well I ripped, it, I ripped it off Will does know the film well because when we first met one of the first conversations we had is how he had copied this film that I had made yes. entirely speaking of jealousy <laughs> um, actually I will as an addendum say that's one of the reasons I liked you is because you said I really need to tell you that I copied your film and I'm sorry should we go to Twitter 
Should we go to Twitter? Yeah. Yes. So we've been asking our listeners, what is the best advice you've ever received? Now, we have had such brilliant responses. Oh, my lordy. Matt Smith says, you're not responsible for other people's emotions. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, hoochie mama, that's a good one. Hoochie mama. Hat, yeah, hat, hat, that is. Yeah. <laughs> that is hat. Oh, yes. Scorching. Scorchio. That's a very good one. Mm. I think boundaries, I think codependency, I think freedom. Yeah. <sighs> I think emotional um, maturity. Robin McNight, always take time to be kind to yourself. Oh, that's lo- you know what? I'm going to do that today. I'm not while I'm here, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Uh, <laughs> Joe Shepard says, At the Pool UK wants did an article about putting your foot on the floor as soon as your alarm goes off in the morning. Best advice ever. Oh, that's I like that. I wish I had even 3% of the gumption to do that. I, I can't do that. I've got a bloody dachshund that's asphyxiating me to wake me up. Are you a snoozer? Like, do you snooze the alarm or do you just leap out of bed? I and that I literally get up most mornings at six six thirty. Do you? Yeah, because the dog gets me up. What hmm. time do you go to sleep? Like midnight. So you only had six hours sleep. I am the Margaret Thatcher of the performing world. <laughs> I don't I feel get tired now. Really sad if I only have six hours sleep. Well, it is good for you. I know. Then I'm going to have children. It's going to be a nightmare. You are going to have children, are you? I am going to have children. <gasps> yeah. When are you going to do that? I don't know. I want to foster. To begin with. Well, if I don't like mine, you could foster them. <laughs> I don't even know if, as a single man if I can foster. And I certainly don't have the routine at the moment to do that. I would like to foster, but oddly the other way around, I'd like to do it after I've had some kids. And maybe oh. it's something I would do a little bit more in later life, mm. which is fast approaching. Um, I'd like to try and have kids via surrogacy with my husband. What would we you tried do? the natural way, it didn't work. <laughs> and, what um, would you do? Like, would you mix up the sperm? Well, a lot of people do this thing where you both jizz in a pot and then you mix all together and then you inseminate an egg, but you don't know whose sperm it is. But you're going to know. The winning sperm. You're going to know when the kid grows up. Well, me and William look very different. So I think it would be quite clear whose was whose. Oh, I suppose then you do leave it to chance, don't you? Yes. And also then you, on the second child, if you were to have a second child, you can choose to just do the person who didn't get it first time Uh, round. If you want that, if you both See, want one. I find that hard because be, I, I would worry if I did that. And let's say I was with someone and then both children actually came from my sperm. Mm. I, I just would worry a bit. What, that the other person wouldn't be so interested because well, they're not really there? Well, I just, I don't know. It just seems a bit unfair. No. Well, William, my husband is like... Or one is... No, actually, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. That's so okay. what, one is mine. My flow. <laughs> so one, So the first one is my husband's mm. or partner's and then there's second one is mine i worry that i'd feel more favoritism towards mine what you're talking about is i'm just bringing the box of cake towards me now i'm going to pour it into your mouth (laughs) so this is what i think particularly when it comes to having children as lgbt people who perhaps can't have children in the formal way as god intended (laughs) yeah people can can become very focused on getting a baby you know and actually Mm. Mm. a person or a child is a baby for about a minute and then they're a person, you know, they're a toddler, they're a five-year-old, they're a ten-year-old. And parenting, being a parent to someone, has got pretty much nothing to do with whether you're blood-related or not. Mm. You are their guardian. You're there to look after them. You're there to bring them up, no matter what age that is, when they come into your care. Whether you would favour the other one or not, is, I think, is to look at it from a perspective that is very focused on the first three weeks and actually as soon as a child comes up turns up in your house who needs you you wouldn't even think about it oh, that's know. what i think don't that's why i want my my nie- i want my niece and nephews i keep on saying to my sister also the hard work's done exactly they're at school mm-hmm. i keep on saying to my sister look as soon as they can learn to drive you send them on over <laughs> how much do you want you know just for, just for one of them but she won't because she loves them I'm I mean, like, come got, on, you can't love them that much. She's got three now. She's got four. Come on, she wouldn't even notice. Just she take wouldn't one. even notice what I say. I just said, give me little Maxie, it's fine. Yeah, because he's called Maxwell. Oh, I love Maxie and isn't that, so much. So Maxwell is like a nickname for you and your family, is that right? I'm Maxwell Tucker. But um, why? Because it's your nickname? Uh, well, no, my brother is Rupert Maxwell, but when I was drunk at university me and my friend Hugh we said I'm going to be a famous pop star because I'd entered Pop Idol oh. and then we'd finished it I'd, we all had our finals and 
and he said, well, you need a pop star name. So we wrote on the back of his checkbook, we came up with Maxwell Tucker. Really? And Maxwell Tucker was my, has been my alter ego for 16 years. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, Maxwell yeah. Tucker. And actually, I would really, I would like to do something with Maxwell Tucker. Yeah. I don't know what. I still don't know what, because he's... go for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be amazing. He's see, great. He's stuck in the 70s. Is he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, oh, disco. Uh, for a bit of a disco. <laughs> Maxwell Tucker is a bit of a, um, he's a wedding disco singer. Does he do I Feel Love? Totally. Oh. But I don't know how good he is. That's the only thing. But that's the great thing about Maxwell. Because Maxwell Tucker is the worst <laughs> stage name ever. Well, you know, we've talked about fake PAs before. Yes. Some people have fake PAs. <laughs> and you said to me that you sometimes write from your email as Maxwell Tucker. <laughs> and you have this whole conversation with people you're open, you're... as Maxwell Tucker. Can I just say one thing, though? Yeah, go on. That I need to tell you. I know what you're going to say. It, it comes, comes up my as email Will comes up as Will Young. Yeah. Yeah. So the, have you been pretending to be Maxwell Tucker? Yes. And they're, they're like, but they know it's Will Young. Because I haven't had a PA. <laughs> I've been writing emails from my email address, but it still comes up as Will Young rather than Maxwell Tucker. And you But that. I think, mm. because I always say I'm sending you an email on behalf oh. of Will Young... <laughs> That they go, oh, well, it just says Will Young because it's, it'll be the heading. Oh, okay. He's quite punchy on email, Maxwell, actually. Is he? Yes. Um, didn't you have another alter ego called yes. Jane? Yes, I did. I had Jane uh, who, from my website when I was selling clothes, which I probably still, still uh, meant to send lots of packages out. Um, and uh, I got quite punchy with one woman. When I first started this website to uh, sell, you know, like bric-a-brac and things, you know how technologically literate I am. I'd opened up the website and I got 40 orders in that I was trying to process. And oh. the, the thing wasn't taking off the items automatically. Oh so God. every time an email came in saying someone's bought this, I had to go back to the website and take it off. And someone wrote, and I wrote an email back immediately to this woman saying, oh gosh, I'm really sorry, that's already gone. You know, PayPal, you can auto- get, it, get the refund, can't mm. you? Just by saying, um, she was like, it's disgusting. I think it's outrageous. And some of the money that I was selling my clothes for was going to Bassey Dog's home. Right. Oh, and she said, by the way, you've, you've misspelt something. So I sent her one back saying, quite frankly, I don't give a fuck what you think. This is from Jane, because there are people dying in the world and who gives a shit if... I was 10 seconds late taking off a red beanie hat. I was like, get a grip on the world and fuck off. <laughs> and she sent Jane. one back going, what awful customer service. And Jane came back again. Fuck off. <laughs> it was so funny. I love. Oh, and Jane was like, used to be a producer, you know, had moved to the countryside, had four kids. Had a whole story. She had a whole story. <laughs> Now it's time for our interview with James Wharton. We went to see James Wharton in his office to talk about what it's like to be LGBT and in the army. We got the inside track. It's a fascinating talk because it's going to surprise you in many different ways. And who knew Prince Harry, the biggest ally to our LGBT sisters you've got out there. This is James Wharton and his fascinating story about being LGBT in the army. On my first day in the army, literally my first day in the army, by that time I knew I was gay. I'd had a bit of a mess around with one of the boys in the army cadets and I was just quite, I was 16, I was just quite quite aware that I fancied boys because mm. I just did not fancy girls. We all got pulled into a room and that person who was responsible for our training gave us a bit of a welcome speech and he, and he said that there were a few rules that we had to follow while we were under his command and they were things like always be on time, always have the correct equipment, don't bully anybody, which, you know, you think it's all getting quite promising. And then this third one was, don't come out if you're a fag, because I can't stand faggots. Mm. And the whole room, like, erupted in a laughter. And there was 49 of us, all 16-year-olds. And I just thought to myself, shit. Yeah, OK, well, let's just... Uh... And you know what's really, really sad, actually? I actually thought maybe that by the time I got out of basic training, I wouldn't be gay. Because all you want to do on your first day in the army and all you want to do throughout your basic training period is become a soldier. To, to train and qualify at the end of that time and be a soldier and that's your role model to that world and you you uh, it's wrong but you know at the age of 16 quite vulnerable you kind of subscribe to it and and I did how did you feel because I got a sense that he was someone who you respected yeah how did you feel when he said that because when you said that to me I felt like I'd been kicked yeah. in the solar plexus it felt like a kick 
just there and then, and I thought to myself, I mean, in a, all these things happen in a millisecond in your mind, and I just thought to myself, well, I'm definitely not going to be exploring that part of myself for the foreseeable future. But the problem was, he was that kind of superstar, almost pop star kind of guy that you wanted to be like, because he was representing that place you were trying to get to. When you were 13, you kind of had an idea about your sexuality, which obviously everyone does, and then they hide it from themselves. What made you still follow that idea if you knew or did you know that it was a hostile place if you are gay? I think my desire to be a soldier was earlier established in my mind than perhaps my sexuality was. Right. And my sexuality came to my attention more by hanging around those boys in the army cadets and wanting to, ha- wanting to be around them. I remember when I, when I was 13 and I started thinking I was gay, I, said, I remember saying to my mum, I think I'm going to join the army because... I, my weird logic was that it would make me straight. That I was, I was, a lot of people were horrible to me for being effeminate. I thought that that would help somehow. Was there any of that in your thought process? Well, I think actually up until that moment that person said to me, don't come out if you're a faggot, I think I was getting to that content stage about being gay. Had you told anyone? Apart from the, the boy I messed around with in the showers when I was 15 in the army cadets, no. But you were sort of content within yourself and thinking about coming out. I was just starting to accept it, I think. And was it, it, was it legal to be gay in the army at that point? Yeah, it was. It was three years in. So on paper, it was, it was legal. Fine. The culture hadn't quite kept up, if you like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in 2003, when I turned up on that first day, the army's like a, a conveyor belt. There's constant talent falling off the other end, mm. but there's always new talent coming on at the at that end. So, I mean, it's, you just move through your career. Like the pop world. <laughs> <laughs> at that point in 2003, the majority of people in the military had joined before the year 2000, before it was uh. legal to be gay. And, you know, part of my basic training was to learn all about military law, learn to shoot a gun, to march, to iron my uniform, all that stuff. But as part of that military law, you know, before 2000, people were told that they didn't just have a moral responsibility to report people if they thought they were gay, they actually had a legal obligation. You couldn't keep it to yourself if you knew someone within the ranks was gay, you had, to, you had to report them. And when you reported them, there'd be some sort of Mickey Mouse investigation, and then those people would lose their jobs and, and leave the military. When that chap said that, though, then, yeah. don't come out of your fag or something, that was actually legally wrong of him to say that. Yes. Yeah. But the sense was, and I think what you said earlier is, most of the people in the army had come in before 2000 and the culture had not really changed. Yeah, it was kind of natural for him to think that that what he was saying was okay. I truly believe when he said it, he didn't think, oh, I could get in trouble for saying Mm. this. So as you put your sexuality to one side, I guess, to to move through the training to get to the height of being a soldier, Mm. when did it start emerging? Was it something that you had to keep contained? Was it something that just started coming up? Do you know what it was? It was being posted to London. I came to London and literally within a few hours, I'd seen a gay couple holding hands walking through the park and just just became aware that London was obviously a very different place. Over the following weeks, I could see that London was brilliant and it was going to be a place where I could absolutely explore who I was and do anything I wanted, really. By the March... Six months later, uh, I, I came out. I came out six months after moving. Came it, out to the soldiers. So, and and family? No, no, I didn't. So I lived. I, I lived a, a London life for about a year and a half. And came out to family later. A more, I make up a potentially more hostile environment. Mm. But it's interesting. I didn't. It didn't feel like a brief. When I came out to the soldiers, it wasn't like a, a big announcement. When I got the soldiers together, we went out to watch some rugby in a bar in Fulham. We got a bit pissed, and by sort of eight nine o'clock in the evening, I'd bonded very closely to three other boys in my household cavalry. They sat me down and they were like, "What's what's up with you lately? You seem to be really really down and different, and a bit miserable, and you're not just not your normal chatty boy self." They started to say things like, is there something wrong at home? Are you in trouble financially? Are you in trouble with the police? Just going through all these different things that could possibly be up with me. And I was like, no. And then one of them, the gobby one, Dean, said, is it because you're gay? And I just, there was zero barrier put up. I just said, yeah, that could be it, actually. Um, that's probably it. And they were all like, yeah, well, we knew it, told you, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't realise, but I had a bit of an infatuation with McFly at the time. 
things, um, which which got them on. It was Dougie, and that's what got them on the uh, on the trail. So beautiful now. It's a model now. Yeah. Apparently on Instagram, I don't know. Oh, no, that's that's a tip off. Is that's 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 someone told me. That's Dougie. What is he on Instagram? I don't know. Somebody was obsessed with him. It was, I'm. I don't know. Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think he's in California today. Um, <laughs> You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So they accepted it. They kind of put it to me, um, and it was the, that was the case. I was getting a little bit more repressed being in London and not being able to access something I literally knew was just over the road. I could literally go to a gay bar if I had the courage. And I think that's what brought it to fruition. It was like, oh, God, I need to do this. I need to access something. And the boys noticed a change, quite impressed, actually. And then that was it. There was a Sunday sort of grace period where I just sort of sat in my room all day looking at my McFly posters. And... <laughs> Then I went to the went to the stables, which is in the barracks, obviously, on the on the Monday morning, six o'clock, and everybody had heard. Like when you're that young in your military career, you're not supposed to be famous amongst the boys and and the wider regiment. You're supposed to be very quiet, just go on with your job. You slowly build up your respect, and all of a sudden, I was the most famous soldier in the world uh, in camp. Everyone was talking about me because I was this this gay guy that everyone was talking about, and that was quite. A... So what happened over the following? week, months? Two things happened. I did start to look for a community, a gay community to access. Um, outside? Outside the army. And I found it. Um, inside, in the, in the immediate hours, days and weeks that followed, it, although it felt there's no difference between being asked lots of questions about your private life and being bullied, what I now know, looking back, is I was not bullied. I was not bullied. But the questions, the endless, constant intrusion into things that I was interested in or who I'd slept with or what I was doing in the evening or how does it work anyway, that kind of thing, mm. was endless. And it took its toll, I have to say. And I didn't know the answers to half of them myself, to be mm. honest, but it was what it was. So no one else, even though it'd been legal for three years, no one else had really come out? Not in a big way. There were some rumours about another guy in camp. It did turn out to be the case that he was gay, actually. And also, somebody who taught me to ride immediately before this, so the first thing you do when you get to the House of Cavalry is you learn to ride a horse. My riding instructor, Tim, who's a good friend of mine today, there were loads of rumours about him being gay. Loads of rumours. And the boys used to give him a bit of a hard time for it, actually. But he wasn't out. And within a week, you know, Tim would pull me to one side and told me that he was gay and that, you know, I had an ally, essentially. And as it happens, when I went off and did all that exploring of the gay scene, Tim came with me. And that was my friend. And actually, the boys were quite impressive. A lot of them wanted to go out and do it as well. So I'd often turn up to GAY bar with four or five straight soldiers and they'd have a great time. Because they wanted to explore it to see what it's all about or they wanted to explore their sexuality or a mixture of both. In, in, what, in one or two cases, definitely that, exploring their own sexuality. In other cases, in 2005, I think the casing was just much, much better than the straight scene. I think the casing was great in 2005. Mm. Heaven nightclub when it was cool. And they must have got a lot of attention as well. They did. I mean, a soldier in a gay bar is like... <laughs> beast down. Yeah. Yeah. I went out every night when I was 18. I, God knows how I afforded it. I don't think I did. I, I went to the opening night of GOI Late um, and took a load of straight soldiers to the opening night of GOI Late. Uh. The picture that I'm getting is a really nur- quite a nurturing environment. You came out, someone else, someone that taught you to ride Tim came out to you. 
you found a companion within the army that you could then explore London mm. with. You had straight soldiers that would want to come to the gay scene because it's interesting. So it all sounds yeah. pretty, I mean, very positive. So, so you know what? It was largely positive. But, you know, all that positivity came from my own generation. So they were all soldiers my own age. They'd all grown up similarly to me. So, you know, like the Simpsons and just having access to a little bit more of a equal world, if you like. The problems then... Uh, were from the generation above so you know the generation of the the sergeants and the sergeant majors and perhaps some of the officer class that's where there was some issues so you know that I was you know it was quite common to you know be on the receiving ends of some unfair treatment because of of, of being gay and how would that how would that happen and how would you know that that was because of that well, do you know what? I mean, this is quite it's quite an interesting story. on the day of the London bombs, we had to stop everything. We were getting ready for a parade on the Sunday and on the Thursday the London bombs happened so stopped preparing all our kit and the horses for this uh, parade and actually do some soldier things because we're soldiers based in London so we had to just drop everything put our army uniforms on and get our guns out of the armory and do all these kind of things to respond to what was a developing situation no one knew what was going on and in that incredible couple of hours of activity the person who was in charge stood up on a box and said, this is the list of teams. If you're in this team, this is what's going to happen. Saying all the names, blah, 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 blah. And then he got to Wharton and just added something at the end, like the faggot, shall we say it wasn't. It was actually a really, really terrible word to use. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it, but... Why not? Mm, what was it? What was it? I think he said, like, the gay cunt. Gay cunt. So yeah. what, when you got to your name, yeah. he added the gay cunt on at the, the end? end. Yeah, just really needlessly. In front of loads of people. In front of the whole regiment. And how did, pe- did people laugh? Did yeah, people... sniggers. And that's annoying because those people are in my peer group, but there was just something about seeing the boss in charge, standing up on a, on a box. And just in that moment, there was a chance to just stick the knife in a little bit. There's a lot of hate in that. Yeah. I mean, gay cunt is... Yeah, it's always... It's quite yeah. a... There's a lot of anger in that. Or was mm. he being... No, he, he would have said it was banter, which is that fine line in the military, which I don't, I don't agree with that whole, oh, it's only banter, I'm like, well, let's not, you know, but... So I mean, on occasions like that, yeah. does that, did that stay with you and did that develop, did other things like that happen and then did you have any idea that you could do something about it? Well, not so long after that is when things took a bit of an unexpected turn for the worse. We were in the bar in camp having a soldier night doing soldier things in the bar and one there was a boy who I wasn't overly familiar with but he was about a year or so older than me and he was hitting on me in the bar he was giving me the eye chatting me up hitting on me and you know boys will be boys I went back to his room with him in camp under the pretense of you know getting it on and when I got in there he locked the door and beat me up with this metal scaffolding pole and really really beat me up i mean it was horrific blood everywhere and i was in hospital and it was only because boys further down the corridor in the barracks could hear this commotion that they came in broke the door down and like stopped what was happening from happening and it was awful um so off i went to hospital anyway and how long did that go on for uh, it seemed to go on for a very long time it probably didn't go on for as long a time as i think it did but minutes minutes and it was all really odd because i mean he turned me around pulled my pants down and whereas i was expecting perhaps something to happen the opposite happened and it was just out of nowhere this pole and hit me ar- around the kidneys first so like really put me on the floor yeah. and then it just continued you know well, did, he, did he say anything what he was doing yeah he was being really like really homophobically graphic you yeah. know and then when the boys came in to stop he was kind of trying to say you know I'd, I'd come on to him or I was trying to lead him astray or something yeah. like that And was he gay though? well interestingly he gets arrested okay so he gets mm. arrested because Regardless of the circumstances, he's attacked another soldier. Mm. I go to hospital where I stay for a 12 hour, say 12, 12, 12 or so hours, and, and I'm then discharged back to the barracks. And the army have decided that they're going to give me a week off to sort of get over this because they know it's a bit of a situation. The military police came in, and the military police said, interestingly, that if this had been five or six years earlier, regardless of the end result, they would have had to have arrested me at that point because they'd have found out I was gay and most likely I'd have lost my career and, you know, my, my, my job. And they were referencing something that wouldn't have, wasn't that long ago in the past and they were saying it as if 
they'd been in that situation, you know, and they were like, oh, it's funny how times change, because if this had been six years ago, I'd be arresting you now and all this. And they were asking, are you sure you want to press charges against this guy? And the whole thing seemed to be put on my shoulders as a bit of an inconvenience. But I said yes anyway, I said yes. And he was arrested, he was court-martialed, he was found guilty, and he kept his job in the army, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Flash forward three months, I'm in heaven, and yeah, there were the boys, and across the dance floor, I could see this guy snogging another guy. And the whole thing was his sexuality affecting him. Mm-hmm. And that night, he chatted me up in the bar, he absolutely wanted to go back to his room and have sex, and he'd changed his mind last minute. But what did you feel when you saw him three months later? What did you feel? I felt dread for the person that he was snogging. Mm-hmm. I didn't go over and say anything. I have to say, I didn't. I told everybody in the army, though. I went back and told all my mates. I was like, did you never speak to him again? No, we kept um, ourselves apart. And the reason why I didn't need to speak to him again was because my time on ceremonial duties was coming to an end. I was going to go off to the armoured side of the regiment, which is the sort of gritty, combat side of the household cavalry. So they did a very good job of keeping us apart after the court-martial. And not so long afterwards, I was sent to Windsor to join the armoured regiment. I went straight into uh, war training to go to Iraq. Um, in 2007, I went with the regiment. I had a relationship by then, then this time as well. I'd met Tom, who was my boyfriend. When I met Tom, that's when I told my family I was gay because you know, I was in a proper loving relationship and I just it was ridiculous not to tell them. And I also had this little worry that my mum would hear about it and... I just knew I had to tell my mum I was gay anyway, so I did. You've said before that it was harder to come out to your mum than it was to come out in the army, right? Yeah, and she responded really badly as well and started crying and hyperventilating and it was just like really melodramatic. Um, But I'd already left home, I was already in the army, you know, and she couldn't kick me out or anything, could she? She just had to get on with it. And my stepdad, Phil, was brilliant at this stage and just came in and dealt with it with mum and... But next time I came home to North Wales, she insisted on me bringing this guy, Tom, over to meet her because he lived up there as well. And I did. And that was it. She's, she, she gradually improved on a sort of day-by-day basis until, you know, she's, there's no issue now at all. She's, she's fantastic, actually. But it, but it was, to, to your point, Chris, it was more difficult to tell the mum than it was just dealing with it in, in the army. It was a rat. That was... You were there at the same time as Prince Harry. No, so Harry came with us to train to go to Iraq and was pulled out last minute because of the security fears. A year later, in 2008, I was in Canada with with my squadron, helping to train soldiers who were going to be going to Iraq because we'd just been there reasonably. Recently, we were there to pass on our experiences. And at the end of the first few weeks out there, I, I just got pulled aside and told that there was a new second in command coming out to join us, second in command of the group of the squadron and that I would be his gunner. I said, oh yeah, who is it? Anyone I know? And they said, yeah, it's Mr. Wales. And that was that. We went off and did our job together in a tank for a few months, and it was really, really good fun, actually. So while you were in Canada, there was a situation when Prince Harry stepped in to help you out. By then, I'd become single, and um, I was in the bar one night, which, which we were in the bar a lot. We were in the bar every night, actually. And... A guy was chatting me up at the bar, that old story again. This guy was chatting me up at the bar. So, you know, I dragged him back to my room anyway. And, you know, we did what we did. I had a really good night, it was fine. And then the next morning, and this is, I put my hand up here, this is, this is bad. But I just couldn't stop myself from telling the boys that, you know, that guy who I thought was chatting me up last night. And they were all like, oh my God, oh my God. And it just spread like wildfire. And of course, this soldier wasn't out I'm not even convinced he was gay, really, you know? And all of a sudden, he must have just had, a, like, a, a wave of questions, like I'd had some years before. And he said um, that I'd taken advantage of him, basically. He said that I didn't really want to do it. He just kind of, you know, dragged me to his room. And, and oh, you can imagine, can't you? So his superior soldiers took his word for it, and they came over and they, they wanted some answers. They were like, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Forcing our guy to do things like that, you know, and things like that. And they were really in my face about it. Did they we were come in a big, over? Yeah, so we're in a big tank hangar. We're in oh, a big right, garage okay. where all the tanks are. Yeah. And I'm messing around with my tank, and they're on the other side messing around with their tanks because they're from a different regiment, you know? But an English regiment. An English mm-hmm. regiment, yeah. But strangers to me, I, I didn't know them. So my mate Danny, like, told them all to fuck off. And they did, in the short term, but there was a problem. And I just climbed into my tank 
just to get away from me, you can imagine, just like get into the tank, kind of sat there and I thought, fuck, but of course Prince Harry was sat there pissing about with his stuff, his side of the tank. I sat down and I was like, oh, shit. And he just looked at me and went, what's wrong with you? And I said, how much details do you want? And he went, okay. And I told him the full story. I told him the full story about hot boy in the bar, chat me up, took him back to my room. And unfortunately, the rumours have got around and he's said that it's not the case, that I like, you know, tricked him into doing it or something. And all his um, sergeants are like, out for my blood. And Harry, Harry's face was a bit like, okay. And he just said, right, I'm going to go and sort this shit out. And off he went. And I could see it. So I sort of sort of peered out from the top of the tank over to the direction of where all this was going on. And I could see him genuinely sorting it out, like pulling people in, I want a fucking word with you, come over here. And he got the people together and he gave them a dressing down and the problem went away. It's a, a funny end to the story. It's kind of like, it's kind of a bit, a bit bad. The day came to an end. I went back to my room and Harry was like, oh, good luck tonight. Cause obviously I was going to go back to the bar and everyone would be in the bar. And if it was going to kick off, it was going to kick off. But I was really popular then uh, in my regiment. I had loads of mates and I told them all that I was worried that it might be a bit of an escalation and a bit of a problem. And they were like, it's all right, we'll all turn up, we'll all be there. And literally in the bar that night, there was all my household cavalry lot on this side and all the said regiment lot on that side. And we just stared at each other for hours and hours and hours. So um, that's side story. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Jets and then we, and sharks. Yeah, mm. we all broke into song and dance. And it still feels like you're the only gay in the village. But, like, but who else is coming out? I, I wasn't by then. And, and actually I've skipped over a little bit of the story just immediately before I went to Canada was Pride, Gay Pride, in London. And it was the first year that service men and women were allowed to go in uniform and march in the parade as part of the thing, you know? And um, I saw the notice go around the whole army saying, if you're gay, you know, you're allowed to go to this thing and you can claim for a train if you can't afford to go and all that shit. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna go. And I had a bit of like encouragement off my mates. They were like, yeah, you should definitely go. I got to the hotel in Waterloo where we all agreed to meet and I, couldn't believe there was over a hundred other gay people from across the services, the Navy and the RAF and the Army, all there in uniform, all there to celebrate gay pride. And it was just like, oh shit, this is brilliant. And initiated Great by day. the Army. Yeah, um, I think the Royal Navy did it actually. But, yeah, but, but yeah, to your point. It was the first time you'd connected with other gay people in the armed forces. It was really surreal I felt you know if I can compare it to you know when I was 13 and I was going away with the army cadets for the first time it felt like that it was that adrenaline of being around people in exactly the same situation as me but sadly you know we didn't um, keep in touch overly I mean there were some Facebooks established and things like that a year later we all went back to gay pride having really not seen each other in that year and things really changed that year because we didn't want to go away for a year and leave each other again. And we started to meet on a monthly basis. So I took the lead on this because uh, I was based near London and I knew the London gay scene. So people kind of said, oh, where should we go? Where's best to go and things like that. And we arranged to meet on the first Saturday of every month at Kuba. And now it's all officially recognized. Like the LGBT groups in the Navy, the RAF and the army are really well respected and real things. Did you ever feel there was a clash between being gay? Because if I think of people being in the army, it's very masculine. I'm thinking of a gay man. It's testosterone, I'm there, I'm strong, I'm gonna defend. That doesn't necessarily connect with stereotypical, unfair visions of what a gay man is. Did you ever feel a clash? I think at the beginning of the story around that time when I came out, I, I saw a bit of a clash. I saw there were real stereotypes that people put on gay people and even amongst my peer group who were brilliant you know they still there was still that sort of stereotypical view that you know gay people are, are this or gay people are that and, but by the time I left you know in 2013 and certainly today I think the status quo has been quite challenged on masculinity and what gay men are supposed to look like and talk like and be like I think that's kind of challenged well today in the armed forces uh, across society actually I mean, I know there's still some bastions like, you know, football and things like that where we're not seeing any change. But in the army, I think it's from the top down accepted that if somebody is being picked on because they're gay, the perpetrators behind that will be dealt with very severely, probably lose their jobs. And that's not an idle threat. I think that's a genuine, genuine outcome of bullying someone because they're gay in the British army. Do you think that people might have looked at gay soldiers and thinking they would be 
less good at doing their job. The same as, and I, I remember really something you said about women not being able to be tank drivers. Is there a correlation within that? Or do you think um, people have more preconceptions about women now in the army than perhaps they did about gay men? Disappointingly, I, I unfortunately think there's still a lot of sexism in the army where women and the roles that women can take in the army is concerned. And because I come from the household cavalry, because it's an all-male environment, I've tested the water with the boys and I've said, you know, how do you feel about women coming into the household cavalry in the, in the next year or two, which is the plan? And they're genuinely against it. And it's really disappointing because these are my people that I know and love who took me in when I was in 2005 and were fine. And, you know, household cavalry is at the cutting edge of inclusivity. Why is that? Why do you think, well, yeah, why, why are people so anti having women coming in? I don't wholly know, Will. I think it's because, you know, the household cavalry is 360 years old. There has only ever been men in those roles of riding horses, carrying swords behind the monarch of the day. And I think there's some bit of traditional snobbery stuck on the shoulders of the boys who've got that honour today that they want to keep it a bit of an old boys club. And in case of the household cavalry, taken away from the horsey side of things, but looking at the tanks, things like changing a track on a tank, you know, you need enormous strength. That's really, really heavy bits of kit that the boys all chip in together to get done. And, you know, four or five people will carry a bit of track because it's that heavy. And I think the boys just subconsciously have an unconscious bias around having women into the mix when it comes to thinking about that sort of dirtier, grittier side of being in the household cavalry. That manifests itself in quite open sexism. It's so interesting to me that someone like yourself who comes out within an echelon of the army, it's almost like, well, it's okay because he's still one of ours. You know, we would accept him and it's all right, we're blokes together. And there's something really lovely in that and heartfelt and warming and connecting and, you know, beautiful actually, I think, that straight guys can go, you know, I remember when it happened to me for the first time, it was amazing, so I thought it would be just beaten up. But then at the same time, there's this interesting thing that it's okay because you're one of the boys and you're still in our boy club, mm. but mm. women seem a completely different element. It's like a threat or introducing a completely different dynamic where it's quite mm. interesting. It is interesting. It's I don't know what that's about. Isn't it? Yeah. I also think, by the way, I mean, it wasn't a given that the women were going to get this equality it was debated in Parliament a couple of years ago and it didn't go any further than the Lords. The Lords said no. And then and then just recently it came around again and it was pushed through and it, and it happened. I reckon that the army thought it wasn't going to happen. I, I, I think there was some surprise. But I think there was also surprise when they lifted the rules on, on gay people in 2000 as well, to be honest. The irony is that the Queen was a mechanic during the war, so... It's the irony of ironies that the Commander-in-Chief, the Colonel-in-Chief, yeah. is a woman. Gay women in the army and their representation. Did you encounter that at all? Because I was in an all-male regiment, it was less common. But actually one of the clerks who was attached to our regiment, Tash, she early on was one of my early allies. She was an out lesbian. She was a good mate. So actually when Tim and I used to go down to GAY, she'd come with us because downstairs in the basement was where all the lesbians hung out. I think lesbianism in the military is quite controversial, but I think being a gay woman in the army is more acceptable or was perhaps back then than it was being a gay man. I say that it's controversial because last Wednesday I went to an event in the city um, where we were talking about women have much more of a difficult time in the city coming out than men do. In the military it's completely the opposite. I think women, not, I don't want to say women had an easier time because that devalues the journeys people go through, but across the culture I think lesbians were slightly more accepted. How do you feel now? Are you happy with where you're at now in your life? You know, when I left the army, everything was based around, you know, getting that book out. So I, I got I was lucky to get a book deal really towards the end of my army career because people wanted to know, you know, what was it like being a gay soldier? So somebody introduced me to my publisher, Ian Dale, and the army were quite happy to put me forward as that spokesperson on what it's like to be gay. It's so interesting. It feels like you sort of fell into becoming the poster boy for gay men in the army and for what the army were doing for LGBT people. The whole gay thing in the army was me just going along with it. So I was just going about my life, doing what I was doing. And I think after that second time, we all got together at Gay Pride in 2009 and pulled everyone together and said, why don't we get together once a month and have a drink? I think 
that's when things started to move towards being a, f- a role model, if you like, amongst the group. I think you do yourself an injustice by saying that you were just going along with your life because it's a, it's a lot of work to be that kind of representative, even if it's foisted upon you. And I think that it's really amazing that you, for people who are like 12 today who want to join the army, to hear people like you speaking will change people's lives because, I mean, is it okay for everybody now? I think it should be. I think actually young people should have confidence that they're joining a gay-friendly organisation. There's been a change. I genuinely think there's been a change. I think the, I think the generation of today, so if we think about 16, 17-year-olds joining the army today, they're just so different to when I was 16, 17, and it's different to who I am. The, the equality world has caught on, I think, amongst young people. On Facebook, someone sent me a nice message saying, I joined the army because I heard about your story. And I just thought it was wonderful. His name's Jack. And I'm still in touch with him today. And he's just recently got married to his boyfriend. It seems to me that you were a person that came at the perfect time to affect change in a very soft way, in a small ripple that ended up in quite a large wave. Thank you. Thanks for the digestives. That was James Wharton. I thought it was very interesting. What it would be lovely is to hear from our listeners about their LGBT Armed Forces experiences. Get in touch with us at hello at homosapienspodcast.com. We'll got the email .co.uk. Right. .com. .com. Or get in touch on Will's Twitter. That's me. Your Will. At Will Young official. Um, no, at Will Young. Which is at Will Young with the hashtag Homo sapiens. Yeah, well done. Don't forget Homo sapiens extra which is our extra bit of fun every friday where you do get a chance if you rate and review and you win the rate and review competition that is don't know why my voice has gone like this you get a chance to win a homo sapiens t-shirt he's actually written another book james recently um about chemsex and it's something that we're going to talk about in a future episode we're going to do a whole thing on chemsex and prep so it's yes, really exciting yes we are to... i know nothing about it well, we'll find out. My God, should we have a chemsex party? Yeah, just shall to see we? what it's like. I'll do nibbles. <laughs> we'll have, chem- we'll have not a chemsex a party without chem or sex. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a tea party with the dogs. Yeah, we'll put like crash helmets on the dogs. <laughs> Earlier, we asked you, our listeners, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received. Thanks to you guys, I now have an encyclopedia that could help me navigate any. A uh, lump or bump I may come across in my life. So, does Intra Miller, Confucius said, don't do unto others what you don't want done unto you. Love that one. Tricky, though. Well, particularly if you're in a wrestling match. Douglas Joy, who's got a great name. Great name. He said, Dougie, Dougie Joy. There's very rarely a mistake that can't be fixed. Oh. Very true. And own up to it as well. People get in such a flap as well. Mm. I, there's always a way. The other one that... Douglas Joy says, Dougie Joy, if you just own up and talk, you can sort it out. Dougie. Dougie. You're in the flow. Dougie. If if Chris wasn't here, I'd send you a t-shirt. Oh, her name is Joy Douglas. Ah. It's a lady. Joy Douglas. She's done her name the other way around, so it's a bit Um, tricky. William Pritchard says, if you spend your life worrying about what others think of you, you'll never get anything done. What I love is David Hockney, one of our LGBT heroes. He said that his dad always said to him, never care what the neighbours think. Yes. I think that's a really good piece of advice to live by. Very good piece of advice. It's very hard to live by. I find that really hard to live by. And I think a lot of people do. I'd like to hear from my listeners if they find it hard. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Treat people how you expect to be treated. Mm. Don't worry about things that haven't happened. Oh, yes. Those are my two. Think about how much time you spend in your life speculating on an outcome. It's extraordinary, actually. I feel like I've got better at it in are we, work. Are we speculating? <laughs> The best piece of advice I've ever had was from my sister's friend, and it was, don't take the crumbs. You used that with me. Did I? Yes, when I was seeing that guy on and off, and then I probably got upset one night and was like, and you said, don't take the crumbs. Yeah. And I never saw him again. Did you not? And, but now we're friends. Really? Isn't that funny? Go on. And sorry. now he's the whole loaf. <laughs> the, um, he's baking in the oven as we oh, speak. Oh, yeah, mm, he's rising. What's that smell? Don't take the crumbs is like if you're attracted to someone and you're sort of texting and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, I might be around later. And then they never text. And they're just giving you crumbs. They're not giving you the attention. Don't take it. Put down a boundary and say, no, I'm not having this. And because people will always waste your time. Know your value. It's what my therapist said to me last week. Really? Yeah. As he gave me an invoice. (laughs) Can I say goodbye in French? Yes. Au revoir. (laughs) Hamo. 
It's me. I've been wondering if after all these years you'd like to be homo from the other side. I tried muff a thousand times. Didn't actually, I got the wrong hole. Back of a Peugeot 106. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.